Hello, we're back with a stationary edition of the Boilers Extra Podcast. I think that was the word you used a long time <laughs> ago. I was kind of trying to come up with the right, remember the right word you, you said, stationary. Uh, I don't know. Last time we were truly, I should have used the who's going mobile for the uh, <laughs> intro because that's exactly what we were doing the last time you heard from us, rolling down uh, I-80 on our way back to Omaha from Purdue's 42-28 victory over Nebraska. And uh, we're back in Lafayette this morning and kind of just doing, uh, it's not mid-season technically, we're only five games into 12, but it, it is the bye week. Purdue football doesn't have a game this weekend and thought it might make a good point to sort of reassess what we know about this team at this point or or delve into some ideas, you know, what we thought this team was going to be coming in season versus where they are now before they begin this closing stretch, these, these final seven games. And just a couple weeks ago, Purdue is 0-3, and they're about to go play a ranked or well, play a te- ranked team at home, and then have to make their first road trip, and they come out of those, and now they're two and three. And you know that leaves through these first six games, three and three is your obviously your best case scenario right now. That's behind where we thought this team might be at this point of the season. But just how much has the narrative of this season changed, just from the fact that Purdue could go get these wins these last two weeks? Well, when you start 0-3, you got to pick yourself up, and they did. And that's a, that's a credit to them. It's a credit to the coaching staff. Um, and I don't I, – I really don't subscribe to the, oh, those three games. If you had beat Eastern Michigan, if you had done this against Missouri or done that against Northwestern, you'd be, you know, 4-2 and two or 5-1. and one. There were – I was on a lot of radio stations last week um, – in Nebraska, and they're like, "Hey, this could be a four no team," and I'd say, "Stop right there! It <laughs> won't. It, no, this could not be a four no team." You have to look deeper at how those games unfolded to see that there's really no way this team would have been undefeated going into Nebraska. Well, they were beating themselves too. To me, that's a little bit different than if you happen to be playing really well against a good team and just happen to lose by a couple points. Right. They were not playing well enough to win. Well, in in, 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 in very important parts <laughs> of the games, right? Well, I mean, they never led Northwestern. How can you say that they could win that game? You can't. Good point. Eastern Michigan, as you know, you brought up, they they beat themselves a lot that game with just silly penalties and mistakes and uh, things like that. And you know, Jeff Brom took took responsibility for uh, not being as aggressive. And then the Missouri game, yeah, you know, I guess you could look at that and see potentially they they might have pulled that one out. But he, as we've discussed, even if Sparks TD is ruled complete you still have the obstacle of stopping Missouri's offense on that day which, which they weren't doing <laughs> which they weren't going to do the only thing that may have happened is you might have got the ball back with a chance to to tie or or win the game that would have been the only uh scenario that I that I could see playing out so and I you know I like to say I mean you, your record is what you should be a lot of the times uh, so they they were zero and three. Yes, they lost three games by eight points, but they were still zero and three, and they probably should have been zero and three. Now they're two and three, and they probably should be two and three based on yeah. how how well they played against Boston College and and what they did at Nebraska. Now, granted, this is not the Nebraska of the five national championships, and it's not even the Nebraska of five years ago. I mean, it's really a program in deep transition. I mean, really. Probably more than what people thought coming into this. Um, that you know they, they're going to they're going to continue to sink before they rise again, um, and this is going to be a, a really a challenging year for them out there. 
but Purdue was able to go out there and take care of business. So they're sitting at two and three. You know, I think when we talked at the beginning of the year, you know, going into the bye week, going into the halfway point, you know, three and three and four and two were, were, were possibilities. So three and three is still on the table for this team. And if they can get to the halfway mark at three and three, then you start looking at the second half where you have uh, some winnable games. Uh, you have some games you, you won't be favored, uh, which really doesn't change the thought process from the beginning of the year. So I think it's key they just they get to three and three and then then go from there. You know, I, if you can look around at just various facets of this team, whether it's the stability of the quarterback play, the uh, special teams getting kind of back to some more solid footing, um, the the use of the tight ends in the offense, the defense being sort of uneven, but also finding some more opportunities to to make game changing plays. What you've seen the last two games is maybe closer to where you thought this team would be on opening night. It just took it a little while to get there. I think in that in. So I don't think anything they're doing right now is surprising or even necessarily ahead of schedule or anything like that. It just seemed like they were, for whatever reason, just one step short of where they needed to be in, and it may cost you just the one game against Eastern Michigan, but that could be critical at the end of the season. When I look defensively, I'm really not surprised what they're doing because this was a young defense coming into the year. They only had four starters coming back. You were, you know, you had three or four guys new up front that were putting their hand in the ground for the first time. You had two new linebackers that were going to play full-time along with Marcus Bailey. You had to place, replace two cornerbacks, and that's kind of been a work in progress. Uh, so when you look at their numbers, they're not pretty, but it's not really surprising to me. I thought that they would have difficulties this year, and, and that to me put the burden on the offense to take a step forward or take two steps forward. And I, you know, I think once they've settled into David Blau and Jeff Brown, Brown became more aggressive with his play calling and his mindset. I think you've seen the offense take take a big step, and that has to continue. That's the offense I thought that we would see at the beginning of the year, because I thought it was really important for them to put up points to to kind of help their defense a little bit. And right now, how I see it working is that the offense is is humming at a pretty good level. Uh, the defense, although you know they gave up over 500 yards against Nebraska, they made the necessary stops early enough in the game to give their offense a chance to extend the lead, and that's that's how this team has to play, in my opinion. They the defense is not a three and out defense; it's not a shutdown defense, especially against spread teams. They're going to give up some points. They're going to give up yards, but they have to come through at some points in the game, whether it's early, like against Nebraska or late where they get a turnover to stop a drive or just get get the team off the field to give their offense a chance to, to extend the lead, come back, or, or whatever it is. You know, I think this defense does show some improvement every week. It may not show it in the stats, but I do think they're, they are showing minor improvements and they're tackling better, I think, but they're going to st- – they're going to struggle against Ohio State. We know that. <laughs> sure. So everybody does, right? Uh, but I, I do think they're making improvements, and I also think the offense. There's more there for the offense, really, to to take off too. So, uh, bottom line, based on right now, is I, I think there's still some more growth for this team. Uh, I don't think we've seen the ceiling yet. You know, we talked 
about uh, for the last couple of weeks about the offense kind of letting its hair down and and being more aggressive, taking some more chances, and how important that was. But that attitude also seems to be present on the defense too. I mean, it, they're being a little bit more selective with it when, when Nick Holt dials up blitzes and things like that, something they weren't really doing in the first couple of games. I wonder how much of that is just trusting the defense more and, 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 and wanting, you know, feel like you either can or need to be more aggressive just for the defense's sake. And how much of it is you can also trust this offense more these last couple of games than you could the first few games that gives you the opportunity to take more chances at a defense. You know, everybody has a different, different, a different, different definition of aggressive. You know, what is, what is aggressive from a defense? To me, it's you know, is that playing man? Is that being? Are you being more aggressive by playing man so you can devote some more people to the line of scrimmage, or is it just straight out, straight out blitzing? Uh, I just think it's getting more pressure, and they've done that. They've moved some people around. Eric Barnes is now in you know a lot of passing situations on the line of scrimmage, being able to rush the passer, which which is a big strength of his. Um, but they've 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 just kind of adopted that that mindset that they need to play more aggressively. And it's a lot of it is these are the plays, these are the calls, but do it with some uh, enthusiasm and some energy and some, and be violent about it. You know, I think that's probably more from a, a defensive standpoint where things have turned, but I think also that's just knowing what they're supposed to do. Again, you had a lot of young guys early that didn't, although they practice it, you get in the game, it's different speed. And I think the young guys, and they're playing a lot of them, have kind of settled into what uh, what is required of them. And they're just they're playing a little bit faster because they know what to do. And I, you know, I think that that helps. And this bye week gives them a chance to kind of reset, get their legs underneath them, and then get ready for the, the second half stretch run. We also look at things like, uh, and by we, I mean just – people who aren't football coaches, fans, sometimes media, tend to look at things like pressure and think it's it's all a matter of the front seven when really a lot of it also has to do with the coverage that's happening downfield. And I think as that improves, that's going to probably open up some some more opportunities to, to get to the quarterback. I just in general, I guess, how do you see Purdue utilizing the bye week? Is it is it a week of instruction? Is it a week where they kind of just more or less take a week off, get some – some mental reps, get some rest, get you know mend up some guys who maybe got banged up these first five weeks. What do you maybe think is are the most important things that this team needs to get out of this week off, quote unquote? Well, they're going to they, they're practice two days, Tuesday, Wednesday, and uh, I, I think for the veterans, it's just honing up fundamentals and doing some individual drill work and some group work. The, you know, I, I think the major thing is they're going to keep them off their legs as much as possible uh, and not tax them. Like uh, in the Tuesday practice, um, a lot of the veterans didn't wear shoulder pads. It was just uh, their jersey and the shorts, and that was that was it. The younger guys had shoulder pads on uh, just because they, they're going to scrimmage. Uh, they scrimmage Tuesday, and they'll scrimmage again Wednesday just so the coaches can get a better look at them. But just more – technique and fundamental they're not really preparing for an opponent right now uh, they'll start that on Sunday when with Illinois um, and a lot of it's just mental rest and y- yes you, you went through five weeks you've got some guys 
nicked up, which in the Jeff Baum world could mean a whole lot of things because <laughs> that's, that's the term he uses. But I, I don't right now, I don't think they have really any serious injuries. You know, Cole Herdman has had some stingers in his shoulder, in his neck area, so they're going to watch him. Um, Jeff is optimistic he can play against uh, Illinois. You know, Jacob Thieneman was in and out of the game on Saturday against Nebraska. They were working on his shoulder, but he came back into the game and seemed to be fine. Uh, so from a health standpoint, I think they're in pretty good shape. You know, Sindelar's back and available. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's just it's, it's a week kind of to catch your breath. And um, it, as you said, it's not really the midway point, but it's at, it's at a point where you need you probably need just a little bit of break to to, to reset the button a little bit. And, you know, they, and they have, you know, they feel good about themselves right now. If they're sitting at 0 and 5, which was a distinct possibility after those sure. first three losses, there would be, you know, it would be a much different bye week, I think. But I think they feel good about themselves, where they're at, how they're playing. And they, you know, they feel, and they, I think they've had that confidence back that they had last year. And I think the last two weeks have really brought that up to a new level. I thought that was sort of a credit to not just the coaching staff, but the players. And I think some of maybe their resiliency has been instilled by this coaching staff. But I, 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 you can go back to the very recent past where if Purdue had been 0-3 to start a season, you might see a very different team from that point forward than the one that you saw this year. There's just a, a different mentality right now with the program. Um, now, it would have been nice if that had been there on day one, probably is what Purdue fans were thinking. And they – would have had a better performance those first three games, but it it's at least a step in the right direction if you're looking at the long term of the program to have rebounded these last couple of weeks. I think that's a positive sign for the program because I don't know if you would have seen that a couple of years ago. Well, that's why there was a change made. Exactly. <laughs> in the coaching staff. But I also think the 0-3 record allowed the coaches to put their thumb on this team and say, look, right. here's, here's the mistakes that you're making. Here's the stupid mistakes you're making. you got to cut it out because – you're doing this, and Purdue's not winning. And I think that had a direct result. And I think the 0-3 record um, really got got everybody's attention. You, you don't know if that happens if you're 1-2, and two, if you somehow win that Eastern Michigan game or, or, or something else happens during that. But being 0-3, I think, really got their attention and made them a little bit more hungrier and, and uh, probably pointed them in the right direction. If you had to look over the rest of the seasons, so you got seven games left this year. Just kind of one of the speculative things that, as I was thinking about coming into today, what share of the quarterback duties do you feel like probably go to David Blau the rest of the way, barring further injury to somebody? Do you feel like this is something that he has established himself as he is the number one guy and there's now a number two? How do you kind of see that splitting out the way he's been? Because just the production now for, for three weeks in a row now has been um, – pretty significant and pretty efficient for the most part you know last week there was I think only one there was one interception that was called back because of a penalty but you really didn't see you know a lot of throws that you thought were dangerous a lot of throws that you thought were um not that he throws a lot of them every week but it, it just inside the numbers seemed like an especially efficient performance from him very much so and that's the way he's been the last um three weeks and really um when you when you look at the last four games or the last eighteen quarters, they've they've thrown one interception between them. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's clearly the number one guy right now, 
and he'll stay that way as long as he continues to perform well and doesn't revert back to to making mistakes because Purdue has climbed has nearly climbed out of the hole that they were in and you can't afford to really take a step backward right now and if that means making a change to two games down the road, three games down the road because of performance, then I think Jeff Brown will do it. But David clearly has it, and um, and I, he'll, he'll, he'll have it until either the end of the year or performance dictates uh, otherwise or, on, you know, knock on wood, an injury. I mean, I think that's, that's, where that, that, I think that's where that position is at right now. Looking around the rest of the Big Ten Conference, um, obviously a kind of a classic game last weekend, um, Ohio State coming back to beat Penn State. Um, any surprises as to how things have played out up to this point? And has your perception of, of Purdue relative to the rest of the Big Ten changed at all at, at this Well, stage? I think with Purdue in relevance to the Big Ten, I think it's important just to stick to the West. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they want nothing to do with the East <laughs> right now. That's not that's the high rent district that they they can't afford to be in right now. Uh, but just in the Big Ten in general, I mean the fact the way that uh, Ohio State came back and won that game, and I mean credit to them. But that's a game Penn State you got to finish at home oh, yeah. in the whiteout, and you've got a pretty good team. You've got a you know, had a quarterback that had four hundred and fifty four hundred and sixty total yards. That's a game you got to. That's a game you got to close out. Yeah, that's just the bottom line. Um, so, in that respect, I think Ohio State continues to show it's the, it's the best team in the league. Uh, as you know, I was high on Michigan State at the beginning of the year. Picked them to to win the East. Picked them to win the Big Ten. And picked them to go to the college football playoff. They don't seem to be the team that I thought they were going to be. So I'm really disappointed in the Spartans right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's their fault. It's their fault, not mine. Uh, but it's it's still a, a solid team, and the you know there's still a lot of things that need to play out on the eastern side of the Big Ten for for us to to really gauge what's going to happen there. But Ohio State is clearly uh, the top now in the West. There, when you when you look at Purdue where they're at relative to the other teams, you know there's a there's a huge opportunity here uh, for them to to make a move up. I'm not saying they're going to win the West. Uh, that would take some serious upsets in the second half of the season, not only by Purdue, but by other teams getting yep. beat. Yep. But based on what we've seen from Purdue, these first five games, first of all, no one matches up well against Ohio State. Get that out of the way. <laughs> right. Well, Penn State matched up pretty well with them. Yeah. Well, let's say Purdue doesn't match up. <laughs> no, <well>. they don't. <laughs> Uh, but when you look at Michigan State and you look at Wisconsin, two teams that play tighter formations on offense, uh, more pro-style type of situations, both have really good defenses. But Purdue would seem, on paper and based on the eye test, that they would have a chance in those games. Not saying they're going to win those games, but those are not those are not going to be, I don't believe, going to be 30 to 40-point blowouts unless – uh, you know, Purdue would just completely collapse and have a bunch of turnovers. The the key question in those games is can they score? Can they score enough to 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 keep the game close and uh, not let either of those teams run away? So there's an opportunity, I think, for Purdue to move up in the West uh, based on what we've seen, based on what's happening. Uh, I don't think Wisconsin is 
as as good as they have been. I think they've had a drop in talent in, in some respects. Still the team to beat in the West, but you know, I, I think they're a little bit closer to the to the to the rest of the of the West as opposed to running away from the West. Northwestern is kind of the um, team that you can't figure out, or maybe you can now. That they're <laughs> yeah, maybe they're just not that good. Maybe they're not that good. And you know, people ask me the question after after Northwestern beat Purdue. It's like, well, how good is Northwestern? You know, I thought that night they were obviously good enough to win, and it showed enough that you thought that they wouldn't lose to Duke. They wouldn't lose to Akron. They would be able to hold on to a 17-point lead uh, against Michigan at home. But, you know, they lost Jeremy Larkin, which is a a big deal. Um, But, you know, things – you know, Iowa's still there. You know, there's no question about that. You know, Minnesota, they're playing a lot of young guys, and they – you know, they lost two big playmakers, uh, the running back and the safety, and, you know, that would be uh, an opportunity for Purdue to go up there and win. And then Indiana – you know, you just, you know, that's, we don't, we'll find out when we get to that point. But again, I think there's a chance for Purdue to climb up in, in the standings uh, if they can take care of their own business in the second half. I wrote a column after the game on Saturday that was sort of along those same lines about there's an opportunity here. I was sort of talking about it relative to Nebraska specifically because as you're just diagramming where these two, programs are historically there's still a huge gap but right now they're obviously have sort of crossed over and it may be momentary but I I guess the way I look at it as in the east you have these four programs that have just sort of run away and hid from the other three and you've got teams like Indiana are kind of trying to nip at their heels and, and maybe have their one chance a year to upset one of them or whatever what Jeff Brom and Purdue have to try to do is not let that happen in the West to some extent, like take a team like a Wisconsin, like a Nebraska that has all these resources and history and don't let that gap get so massive that it, it seems like a joke every year when you're coming in and you see those teams on your schedule and you automatically have to put either a loss or this is like a upset of the season in college basketball kind of or college football sort of thing next to it i don't i don't know necessarily how what the formula is to do that but it seems like they've already started it both in recruiting and and by the results you're seeing on the field i mean beating winning at iowa last year kind of goes in that same category and then obviously i know nebraska's down but anytime you can beat a nebraska and your purdue i think you've you have to take advantage of that. Well, I think it started last year. Just look at the close games they played. Yeah. You know, even their Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even, yeah, you look at Wisconsin, uh, where they lost by eight and, but had trouble moving the ball. And, um, you know, even how tough they played Michigan, even though that game got away from them at the end of the second half. Uh, I, I think it, it has started. And with, you know, the, how they stay there, or how they have a chance to enter the conversation on a yearly basis is all, to me, it's all based on recruiting. Mm. And the 2019 class has a chance, assuming it all stays together and you get some more pieces to this thing. Uh, you know, I think you have a lot of guys in that class that can come in and play and contribute uh, immediately. Now, that may be um, far-reaching a little bit because – you know, I think they were counting on some of the guys in 2018 to come in and help them, especially in the secondary, and that hasn't that hasn't happened yet. So, 
it might I might have to slow my roll a little bit on that one. I mean, but there are some impact players in that 2019 class that can come in and help. It just may not be as deep as as you think, and it's going to take time for guys like George Koloftis and some of these other guys to figure out what they can and can't do at the at the level. But if you're going to be in that conversation, if you want to be in that conversation, then you're going to have to continue to recruit well, and you're going to have to beat Iowa for a kid or two out of Indianapolis or win a recruiting battle with um, with Nebraska if it ever if it would ever come to that and and, and Wisconsin to, to some extent but I, I think Purdue fans should feel feel really confident in what Jeff Brom and the staff can do from a just a pure football standpoint a scheming standpoint getting guys in the right position and knowing how to exploit other teams it's just now a matter of just getting that talent and if you keep that talent if you keep that talent coming in, then Purdue's going to be in that conversation every every year, regardless of how far Nebraska would jump ahead of them from, you know, resources and stuff like that. Or, you know, you still have to you you have to battle that in some way. But if you continue to compete with them, you're not going to beat them every year. But if you continue to compete with them, a lot of that goes away, and to the point where you're playing the team and you're not playing the program. We don't have a game to advance this weekend, so we'll probably kind of wrap it up there. I did want to. We used to like make fun and say, "Well, the bye week is the bye week favorite over Purdue." <laughs> we can't do that anymore. No, I think Purdue is finally <laughs> Purdue would minus be a, whatever a, a double digit favorite in the bye week. At finally, least, at least. <laughs> um, but I did want to, to echo uh, Jeff Brom's post game sentiments. Just kind of give a shout out to Tyler Trent. He's been a, a guy that we've gotten to know. Um, through our media dealings, um, covering Purdue sports over the last couple of years. He's going through a rough time, but there's, you have a story on jconline.com right now sort of about how the whole Purdue community and then even beyond, out, all the way to Vice President Mike Pence, has been reaching out and, and giving him support these last couple of weeks, and that's been nice to see. Yeah, he's in a, he's in a tough situation. He had posted on, uh, for those that don't know, he had posted on Twitter over the weekend that he wouldn't be returning to school, that he needs – uh, his health has taken a turn uh, for the worse, and he needs to be at home, or he's electing to be at home and uh, and get his health care that way. And since then, you know, mentioned Jeff Brom took his uh, opening statement after the Nebraska win to acknowledge Tyler's situation and you know lend his uh, support and, and prayers. And then um, he had you know he had his captains. Uh, go down and deliver the game ball on Sunday uh, to to Tyler at his home. And then on Monday, he got an associate's degree from Purdue, which is something that uh, the university has done many times over the years. Um, and it's it's a real degree. It's an earned degree based on his uh, academic progress up to that point. And, you know, uh, you got a call from the vice president. I think Drew Brees sent him a, a video message. I don't think it was on Twitter or anything, but, but probably just uh, – straight to his cell phone. So a lot of people have reached out to the young man and he's, he's become, um, over the last year, he's become, you know, kind of the face of a lot of things, the university, mm -hmm. <laughs> the athletic department, uh, the, Purdue the fan base, the fan base, the Purdue cancer, yeah. um, center, which he got uh, actively involved in, uh, over the last year. And, uh, it's taken him to a lot of different places, allowed him to be an honorary captain, at a couple of Purdue football games where they're hammering down cancer events. 
Uh, he, was, he went out, him and his dad went out, out to Iowa last year, not only to watch the Purdue-Iowa game, but also to wave at the uh, the patients at the Children's Hospital, which is a neat tradition that they've started out in Iowa. So in a, in a year's time, he has he gone, gone from a relatively unknown student um, to, you know, a guy that has been able to enjoy a lot of things, you know, despite his his health situation. And and talking to him the, the other day, um, he's just, you know, he's blessed and he's overwhelmed. He doesn't think he deserves all this. And um, humble kid, and um, we just, you know, we wish him the best. And, you know, his goal is to get to, to Ross-Age Stadium for the October 20th Ohio State game. And, you know, I think that's what uh, we should all pull for for him. I think it's a, it's a credit to him because not everybody would react to this situation this way and and put themselves out there because I know he doesn't miss, want the attention, but at the same time, he really has, through social media, through whatever, tried to bring awareness to this. And, you know, all of us have probably, everyone who's listening to this has probably had someone who's dealt with cancer, some form of it. Some of them are still here and some of them are not. And it's touched Purdue's family in uh, a number of ways. And, you know, he's I, 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 I really uh, respect him for the way that he's, you know, stepped up and, and tried to enlighten people and, and bring some awareness to this. So uh, keep fighting, Tyler. And um, we'll see you again down the road. And I was going to say what he's done is kind of inspired people to get involved, you know, whether it be at Purdue, the high schools. Um, he, That's he's, true. Yeah, there yeah, were some local really, high schools that. I mean, he's just really, he's gone out and, and had, you know, had speaking engagements and just, you know, he told me the other day, one one regret he had from 2014 when he was initially diagnosed with his rare form of bone cancer was he didn't use that opportunity to bring more awareness. And he, he vowed after the second time, his second time he was diagnosed with the same cancer that he would use his platform or try to use his platform to bring more awareness to, to, to all that. So he, he's, he, he's accomplished what he's, he set out to do. And uh, again, just hang in there and hope to see you on August 20th or October 20th. You know, he, he, he'd done some work for the exponent covering various right. sports. And every time it seemed like every time he would show up for an availability, a media availability interviews, um, there was something else that had just, happened he was now he's on crutches now this is happening and he would would always be like man what is it now and he would have this really kind of heartbreaking explanation of some other malady that come but he's sort of just smiling and and saying hey this is what it is but i'm still here he was still there that day he was still doing a job and um just a, a someone who i think we uh, could all try to emulate in in the way that we approach things so um our best to tyler and thanks to everybody for joining us on boilers extra this week we'll be back at it next week with uh, another pregame edition going into Purdue's road trip to Illinois.